Well, friends, we're continuing today a message series called Wreck the Roof. And some of you are like, oh, I see what this wrecking business is. We're going to like switch our staff right now. That's not what it's about. Wrecking the roof means, we talked about last week, about a group of followers of Jesus who brought their friend to come to be in his presence, to be healed by him. It means that we do whatever we possibly can to eliminate obstacles to people coming to know Jesus. That's what it means to wreck the roof. We don't want anything to come between people and Jesus. And it's our job to to remove those obstacles, to invite our friends uh, to to come to know Jesus. And you know, oftentimes in life, we face obstacles. We face challenges. We face problems. We face hardships. And today, I want to challenge us to watch for opportunities, that, that we would have eyes open, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to see the world as God sees it, to see opportunities to share our faith, to love on others, to help God's kingdom to be to come, His will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're talking about throughout this series, and especially today. You know, opportunities are something that we all like to watch for, right? We're all watching for the big opportunity for something to improve our life so dramatically. But I'm talking about something more than just a worldly sense of opportunity. I'm talking about a kingdom of God opportunity, the chance for God's kingdom to grow. just to differentiate those two, two things, from a worldly standpoint, we might say that opportunities are, refer to favorable conditions for personal success and advancement. Okay, that's what an opportunity basically is. It's when conditions are favorable for personal success and advancement. Some opportunity comes along that changes your life, and it does good things for you. I remember when Jennifer and I were, when I was in seminary, Jennifer and I lived in Kentucky, and we were about 23 years old at the time, and we attended a church where we were part of a great life group of of other young couples, um, most of whom were not in seminary, some were, but one evening we had the opportunity to go over to a friend's house for dinner. They had invited us to come over, and we were so excited to hang out with this couple. And they were, um, so we, we pulled into their driveway, and there's this, like, super nice Lexus in the driveway. We're like, wow, I didn't think they had a car like this, right? That's impressive, I guess, in early 20s. And uh, so they open the door, and we come in, and we, we walk into the living room, and there's another guy in the living room, and he's dressed, like, super nice, and he's acting like he's had about 16 cups of coffee before this meeting, And he is pumped that we are there, let me tell you. And he walks up and he's like, hey, I'm Jake. What's your name, Shooter? I'm like, my name is John. And he's like, well, I've got an opportunity for you. I want to talk to you tonight about a great opportunity. What dreams do you have, John? And I'm like, I'm a little overwhelmed by this right now. And, and I'm like, I, I'm not sure. What are we referring to? He's like, like, vacation. Where do you go on vacation? We go to central Illinois where our relatives live. It's very flat and cheap. And he puts up on the screen this picture of this amazing vacation, right? Because he has like a PowerPoint presentation, which is when you know you're in big trouble. When they've already got PowerPoint slides, you walk in. And, uh, you know, so he's like, where do you want to go? We're, we're like, we're, we haven't really thought of that. We make about $20,000 a year right now. We don't think about vacations very often. And he's like, well, what do you drive? Like, 1994 Grand Am. He's like, oh, man, what would you dream of driving? If you had opportunity, what would you drive? Like, 
we like our Grand Am, actually. And, like, he can tell this guy is not loving me right now, you know. And finally, he's just like, what's your biggest financial goal? And I said, honestly, Jake, our biggest goal is to be able to save as much as we can so we can give away a lot of money. That's a big priority to us. And for the first time, he was quiet for two seconds. And he looks at me like I'm the dumbest guy he's met in his whole life. And he goes, well, then I've got an opportunity for you to give away more money. Have you heard of Amway before? (laughs) You saw it coming, right? And no offense to you multi-level marketing folks who like to, you know, you drive the pink caddy or you Amway or you sell charcoal toothpaste that'll, like, make all your friends' teeth rot in six years, so you better lose those friends soon, right? You know, anyway, whatever your thing is, we're not trying to be rude here, but this guy is describing opportunity in that exact way. Opportunity means something that helps me get more for me, helps my life be better. And, And today when we talk about opportunity, watching for opportunities, it's different than that. We're talking about kingdom opportunity, and it's not to say that it's bad to make money. It's not. It's not to say that it's bad to be entrepreneurial. I love that stuff. But, but I want to challenge you to have eyes that are empowered by the Holy Spirit to see the world in a different way than just the way the rest of the world looks at it. That when you see opportunity, you're seeing opportunity for God's kingdom to grow and for God even to use you and me in that process. And sometimes these opportunities may be fun things. Other times, they may be, seem like problems. In fact, kingdom opportunities are often disguised as earthly opposition. Kingdom opportunities are often disguised as earthly opposition. Like we see problems, the rest of the world sees problems, and God sees opportunity. God sees opportunity to use us. We're going to look at the early church today and see how God used them in powerful ways um, through really a a problem that existed. You see, the early church, um, in in those days, the um, help for the poor tended to come through the temple in Jerusalem. People would give money to the temple. They would give money to people in need. This is kind of how it worked out. So when people would become followers of Jesus, there was concern. Who's going to help the poor? Who's going to help the widow? They've been used to receiving this through the Jewish temple, but will we do this anymore? Will we be able to receive this? So that was opposition. That's a problem. It's a a difficult thing to be able to feed those, to help those who are in need. And so the early church, here's how they responded to this this problem. This is uh, found in Acts chapter 2, which is right after the day of Pentecost, okay? So this is how the church is living from the earliest time. Listen to what Luke, the author of Acts, writes. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, that sounds like an awesome church, right? I mean, they're spending time together, they're eating together, they're studying the Word together. Um, God is, like, moving in powerful ways. You're seeing miracle signs and wonders. God's using this to just grow their church like crazy. This is, like, the best time ever in, in, in church history, right? So then it continues. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he or she had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is not normal, right? This is not a normal way of living that the early church was doing. Because what they're doing is they're, they're living in, in community with each other so much that when they see a need, when they see someone in need, someone else decides to, to sell something to fund that need. Or if they've got the ability to do that financially, they do that, right? And so this is, it's incredible. They took very seriously Jesus' challenge. Remember he said that I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. Remember that? And they're saying, yeah, we're not going to have anybody be hungry in our church because Jesus called us to feed others. He called us to care for the needs of others. And so we're going to give sacrificially to do that. And it's a really powerful example of, of seeing opportunity, what was an opposition, seeing it as an opportunity to grow God's kingdom. And it's really not surprising because when the power of the Holy Spirit, when it, when it comes inside of you and changes you, uh, it impacts the way that you live your life in a variety of areas. And finance is a logical one of those because for all of us, we demonstrate our priorities in the way that we spend money. That's just a simple fact. If you want to know what's important to you, look at the way that you choose to spend money. And so the Holy Spirit was impacting these believers so much that they were becoming incredibly unselfish and incredibly generous. Now, verses 44 and 45 there are actually some of the most, like, controversial verses in the book of Acts. I'll read them again. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone who gave to anyone as he or she had need. And we're like, whoa, time out. Okay, that sounds like communism. And we're Americans. We don't like that, right? And we've seen many examples of how this has failed, you know, to work effectively where basically the, the, the government takes all of the stuff, right, and kind of redistributes that, and it just doesn't pan out so well. So I don't know about these verses here in Acts. Is God like, you know, is God like saying that this is the way that everybody should really be living? I mean, I'm not sure that I would have wanted to be part of that church. I mean, imagine if you got a letter from me this week, right, and it said something like, hey, dear Anderson Hills Church family, uh, we are going to practice the financial policies of Acts chapter 2. So in order to do that, I'm going to need you to sell your house this week, also your car, anything significant. Keep the clothes on your back, please, but, you know, most other things, let's sell them. And then bring all the money to church on Sunday. We're going to have biggest offering ever. It's going to be amazing. And uh, then um, I've appointed uh, Pastor Mark Putman, our executive pastor, to be the one who uh, kind of, you know, he'll give you your whatever money he feels you need that week. And he'll give you, he'll assign you to your new home. And he'll give you the car that you'll be driving from now on. Sincerely, your friends at Anderson Hills Church. And you're like... Uh, I don't know if I want to have friends at Anderson Hills Church anymore. <laughs> I don't like that. I mean, this seems very unfair and problematic, right? For example, why is it that two weeks later, I noticed that Pastor Mark is driving a Ferrari? <laughs> this... <laughs> it doesn't seem right, and I, I am riding to church now with this guy on this moped here. I... I do not like this Acts 2 stuff we're talking about. This is no bueno, right? Well, clearly this is not what God is saying, okay? And I'll give you a couple, a couple things to understand here. Um, in Acts, Luke sometimes 
he has a, a number of places where he writes in what scholars call summary passages, where he paints in very broad strokes to explain what was happening. You and I actually do the same thing in our communication. For example, you, if you walk up to somebody today and they're like, how was your week? And, and, and uh, the person says, oh, it was stressful. Would you say, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I can't even believe you're here today. Your whole week was stressful. You must not have slept at all. Just every moment, stress, 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 stress. Your job is stressful. Your kids are stressful. Your marriage is stressful. How are you even standing? And they're like, that's not what I meant, you know. I just meant some things were stressful. Like, tone it down a little, okay? That's, that's all I was talking about. It's a summary. It's a summary statement. Also, we know that they didn't, uh, they didn't reject private property altogether uh, because we see examples later on of someone having, a, a Christian having property and selling it in order to help someone in need, which means they continued to hold property. It was just that they were more generous with their resources. When they saw an opportunity to help out and they had resources, they did it. Um, also, uh, that... The, uh, verse 45 there uh, says that they kept on selling their stuff, not that they sold their stuff. There are some translations that say sold. That's really not the best translation because if you sold, you're done, right? If I sold my possessions, that means I had a big garage sale, sold it all, and then sold the garage, right? But if I kept on selling, that means I still have things, and where I see opportunity, where God leads me, I'm going to be extra generous. That's what these these verses are talking about, and it is a real challenge for us, because let's just be honest. We like our stuff, don't we? We like our stuff, and we kind of have this mentality that we are where we are because we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and all these good things, right, and we're independent and yada, 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 but God challenges us to think differently. God challenges us to look, and this passage focuses on money, but it's really broader than just money. God challenges us to look at everything that we have, whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's our health, whether that's our network of friends and our influence, our spheres of influence, uh, whether that's spiritual gifts that he's given us, whether it's talents, to look at all of that as what it is, which is a gift from the Lord. That everything I have, everything I am, all that is good is a gift from the Lord. It's, it's not me, it's, it's him, and that he has given it to me to be a steward of, meaning to manage, to be responsible of this for his work, for his glory. So when I see an opportunity, when I see someone who's struggling, when I see someone who's in need, I want to do whatever I can, whatever God has blessed me with, I want to use that to be able to, to help those who are in need. We... Finance is the easy one to talk about because it's just so tangible. But like I said, it's more than just that. And if you're sitting here today or you're watching online, you may be thinking like, okay, this is a perfect message for those billionaires out there, right? I hope they're tuning in today. They need to do something. Perhaps, but honestly, it's a message for every single one of us. Because if you just look at basic global economics... Every person in this room today is in the top 5% of the world's wealth. Top 5%. And you're like, well, I do not feel like it. Well, we are. Because we get a very limited perspective of what the world looks like. 
God has blessed us beyond imagination. Whether you have a lot or whether you live pretty basically here in Cincinnati, we're, we're in that top 5%. And you know what Jesus said about that stuff? Luke 12, 48, much is required from those to whom much is given. And much more is required from those to whom much more is given. To be clear, all of us are in the much more category. Whether it's finances, whether it's our time, whether it's our energy, all these kind of things, God has blessed us in so many ways. And, and this is an opportunity, even a responsibility, to make an impact for his kingdom. And ask us, are we, as we go through daily life, are we actually praying and say, God, help me to see the opportunities that you have placed in my path? Or are we just saying, where are the opportunities for me to have more and more and more, and I'm going to try to get that as much as I possibly can till the day I die, and I'll leave it to somebody else, and they'll take it from there. It's kind of shallow. It's not eternally significant. And friend, I want for you to have a life that matters way beyond this earth. I want you to have a life that matters throughout all of eternity. I I want to be investing my time and your time and and all these things. I want us to be investing these resources to build God's kingdom because I don't know anything better to do. I don't know anything more important to do. And for whatever reason, God has entrusted me and you and us with a whole lot of his resources to care for, to steward that his kingdom may come, his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. This is why at, at our church we give away a whole lot to those who are in need, right? We've given, what, $1.2 million now to, to uh, Zambia to, to, um, for wells and sanitation there. Uh, we give away um, hundreds of thousands every year to people who are in need through our missions team. Uh, we give to, um, whether it's global needs, to local needs, uh, to places where they're spreading the good news of Jesus and where they're loving in tangible ways. We have folks who, uh, when it's a little warmer outside, they have this amazing garden out there where they raise literally tons of produce every year, and they give it away to people who are hungry in our community who wouldn't be able to afford fresh produce on their own. These are just a few of the ways. And like I said, it's not just money. I got a text yesterday um, from a friend of mine up in Dayton from our last church, and, and they texted to say that a woman named Lois had passed away. Lois was 98, And as soon as I saw those words, her smiling face popped into my head. Because Lois is uh, one of the sweetest ladies that you'll ever meet. And she didn't have much. In terms of earthly material things, she didn't have a whole lot. But she was the most kind and joyful and enthusiastic person. And she always would lift the spirits of everybody around her. When she walked into a room, (laughs) that room just like the joy level like doubled, you know. I remember Lois was in the hospital once for a little while, and she missed church for a few weeks. She never missed church. And the day that she was supposed to come back to church, the people picking her up for church, they, they, they got her, and they got her here, and I was talking to her and everything, and they pulled me aside, and they said, Lois was ready at 4 a.m. for church today. <laughs> Because she was so excited to see everybody again. <laughs> it, it doesn't, I'm not just talking money. I'm talking, Lois was a person who had eyes of opportunity for God's work. And when she saw something she could do, she did it. 
Friends, how are you doing that in your life? Maybe God has blessed you financially. Maybe God has blessed you with time. Maybe God has blessed you with wonderful artistic gifts that just bless the world and make it a better place. Maybe God has blessed you to be a voice of encouragement. Maybe God has blessed you to be a kind, gracious, whatever, whatever God has blessed you with. What if we would look for opportunities? And remember, if you want to find the opportunities, oftentimes you need to look for the obstacles, the opposition. Because kingdom opportunities are often disguised as earthly opposition. As Chuck Swindoll said, we are faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. But friends, I believe in a God who raises the dead, right? So there's nothing, there's nothing he cannot do. Literally, there's nothing here on this earth that he cannot do. So when we face opposition and challenge... We don't need to fear. We are people of courage, not because of us, but because of him, because he's so good. And so you might be looking, maybe even at this transition we're talking about, and be like, oh, no, I'm worried. This is problem, problem, challenge, challenge, whatever. What if we trust that our God is so good that he's doing things that are better than I could ever ask or imagine? What if we trust that God wants to use this to bring more people to him than we ever could in our current configuration? Because I believe that. What if we trust that God who walks on water can certainly bring us the right next leader here? Because that's exactly what I'm doing. Because God has always been faithful to this place, and he will continue to be as we are faithful to him. We serve a good God, a faithful God, and he's given us so much opportunity, and I'm so excited about what he's going to continue to do. So, God, I just give you thanks and praise for how good you are, for how faithful you are. And, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who sees kingdom opportunities in front of us and says, yes. Yes to your calling. Yes to your challenge to give our lives away to you. Yes to your call to be humble, to be gracious, to be kind, to be generous. God, I pray that we would be a congregation full of, whether it's people like Lois or people like the early Christians, that you would just make your call so clear to us that we would hear your voice and say yes. Jesus, we are so thankful for your faithfulness. We love you and we praise you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.